morning and welcome to Good News. My name is Margaret Snow and my husband Chris and I two girls have been members here for 12 years and I'm also a member of the Global Outreach Team. And we'd like to offer a special welcome if you are new or a guest and ask if you would please take the Connect card that's located on the seat back in front of you and fill out as much information as you're comfortable with. And then after the service, if you could please return those to the black boxes in the back of the room at the end of service. And also, if you're new and you would like to have lunch with a pastor, please also mark that on your card. We have a class coming up this Wednesday. It's Discover Good News, the 19th. And if you have been considering becoming a member, that's the next step. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you are planning to attend, please also mark that on your card. And also on your seat is a flyer, and it has information on one side about Vacation Bible School. So if you are thinking about registering your child for Vacation Bible School this year, today is the first day of res registration, and there's a QR code on the top right corner of your flyer, and you can use that QR code to register your child for Vacation Bible School. And also coming up the last Sunday of this month is April 30th, and it will be Super Sunday. We're going to have a barbecue and a um, square dance. So put on your bandana and your boots and come join us. And if you are planning to attend, please also note that along with your email address on the Connect card. And finally, one very important announcement we'd like to bring to your attention this morning is in two weeks, we have our Global Outreach Conference and we absolutely love this event every year. We'd love for you to be a part of that. We have several activities, and they're also listed on the back of the flyer. So if you could um, take a look at, at those and save the date, we will have a Friday lunch event at the World Golf Village campus, a Saturday lunch event here at Wildwood on the 29th, and then on Sunday we will have special speakers at both campuses. So again, please save the date and be a part of that. We will have guests here from Brazil, Romania, Ireland, the Florida Church Planning Network, and many others, and so hope you can make it. And at this time, we're going to do a baptism. I'd love to invite Tavanya and Smiley and the family to come forward. All right, good morning. Well, we have... Um, we have Joseph coming up um, to be baptized this morning, um, and he's also going to join the church. Um, so Joseph, back in February, we had a class, um, our Discover Good News class for kids, um, and we were up here a few weeks ago with four other kids that were um, joining the church, but Joseph was out of town. So now they are back, and he's here with his parents, and they finished the class together, and he is coming today to get baptized and to join the church. Well, Joseph, today's a big day. I know Joseph. I see him running in Trinity Park all the time. I'm stumbling, and every time I see him, he's a little faster than his dad. <laughs> Just a lot, a lot every day. But uh, running's great, but knowing Jesus is even better. So thankful that you know Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, he promises two things, that he would wash all of our sins away, 
and that he would give us the Holy Spirit. So as I baptize you and pour water, it's symbolic of how through your faith in Christ, you are forgiven and you've been given the Holy Spirit to, uh, to live the Christian life. So I'm going to baptize you and then I'm going to invite someone else to take the membership vows with you, okay? So let me pray. Lord, thanks for Joseph. Thank you so much that he has faith in you and that he comes today professing his faith in you and wanting to be baptized. How we pray as the water is poured over his head that you would assure him that he's yours that he's forgiven, that he's been given your spirit, and nothing and no one will ever separate him from your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joseph, Barrett, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Congratulations. Uh, now I'm going to invite Wanda, if Wanda would come up, and uh, we can get Wanda to stand here. Come on up. Yes, that'd be great. And Wanda's got some folks from her small group and friends. Wanda Growett, um, her husband Gary. Good to have you guys. So uh, you've shared with us your faith, an opportunity for you to publicly express your faith, okay? So do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His wrath and hopeless without His mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you trust Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel? Yes. And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as a follower of Christ should? Yes. And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Yes. And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? And it's so neat to see that you have faith in Christ, that you're connected to people here because we really do need Jesus and each other to, to follow Christ in our time. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for Joseph. Thank you for Wanda. Thank you for their faith in you. Lord, thank you for the friends they have. We pray that their roots would go down deep here and they would grow and grow uh, as disciples here. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now I'm going to welcome you now, but just after the service, make sure you make them feel welcome. Welcome, Wanda and Joseph. And here's, here's something for you since you're joining a church for the first time. It's something for your fam family to do for you. I think you'll really like it. So welcome. Thank you, guys. Whoops. We rejoice with uh, Matt and Jordan at the birth of Brooks Martin Green and their new little one. We rejoice with that. <laughs> Last Sunday was an amazing week. It was amazing over here, uh, but a lot of you didn't get to see what happened in the gym. Our Easter celebration in the gym was amazing, and so we put together a little video so that you could see what was happening next door last week. Children's Ministry Director. And I'm Tavanya Greco, the Preschool Director. And we just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for investing in the lives of kids and helping us make Easter at Good News Church a great success. Check it out.
So many helped out in our children's ministry, and um, we'd ask all of you guys to be a part of the team. And as everybody worked together to invite and welcome and serve, we had 1,331 people who came to our services last weekend. <clears throat> and uh, each ring here represents someone who put their faith in Christ. And so we were really praying for last Sunday, and what we saw is we had... Uh, 18 people who put their faith in Christ at our services last weekend, and we rejoice with God with that. There's actually 22 on here because we had, besides our Easter services last week, we saw four other people come to faith in Christ, and so it was 22 people last week, and we rejoice with that. Um, so thank you for helping us, and before we open up God's Word, let's spend some time in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask, and you did beyond what we could ask or think, thank you so much for so many people who, who had a chance to hear the gospel and move from death to life last week. Thank you. Lord, we're thankful that when we were dead, you drew us to you and raised us and opened our eyes and drew us to faith. Thank you. We're here to worship you today. Lord, we're a needy people. And you know our needs, and we pray that you would meet our needs as we worship you today. And Lord, as we open your word, teach us, forgive the one who speaks for his sins are many. Lord, we pray that we would see Jesus. We pray that we would see that you win the lost and build believers and equip workers. Lord, multiply disciple makers. Lord, we pray for revival. We need revival. Lord, our, our nation needs a spiritual awakening. Won't you revive us? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. And Lord, may that revival overflow into a spiritual awakening in our land. For our hope is you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, our purpose at, at Good News is to make disciples together. And um, you, so I got a question for you. How is a disciple and a penny, how are they alike? No, no, they're both one cent. Okay, don't quit your day job. Okay, I can live with that. Uh, we've said a disciple is a follower of Jesus, right? And we've said, well, what does that look like? And we said a, a, a disciple has three great loves. A disciple loves Jesus loves one another, and loves the lost. So last Sunday, it was all about loving the lost people. We worked really, really hard to invite people because we wanted to, them to hear the gospel and to come to faith in Christ. But today's very different. Today we're going to focus on the second great love, the, the importance of loving one another. Uh, we're going to really focus on loving one another. And the point of today's message is that Jesus enables us to love one another. What we're going to focus in on that Jesus enables us to love one another. Because I think all of us would say that loving one another is really important, but I think most of us would say, but it's really hard. And it is really hard, and that's why we need Jesus, and that's why we're here, because Jesus enables us to love one another. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And if you don't, it's always a great idea to bring your Bible because if the screens don't work, then you have your Bible, right? Now, let me set this up for you a little bit. We've taken a couple-week break from walking through 1 Timothy, and, but we're coming back. 
as a church, we want to make disciples. And uh, so we're getting to listen in as Paul, an older pastor, is really discipling Timothy. He's teaching him how to be an effective pastor, how to be an effective disciple maker. And what he's going to teach him today is the church is filled with all kinds of people. The church is filled with all kinds of people and that Jesus enables us to love one another. So let's listen in on this disciple-making meeting in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Can't you picture this Paul teaching Timothy? Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So... When we connect ourselves to the head, Jesus Christ, it's very important that we then connect to a local body because the church is our wider family. I mean, we have our family, but when we connect to Christ, it's important that we're connected to the wider family. And we learn some things here about the church. The first thing we learn about the church is the church is a multi-generational family, just like our families. Our families have multiple generations, so does the church. We see here that there's older men and younger men. There's younger women and older women, all in one church, multi-generational. Now, the second thing I I would point out is this is something that everybody knew. This is something that everyone knew until two seconds ago in human history. And that is that the church was made up of men and women. Everybody knew that until two seconds ago, and yet now in our culture, people act like that's not true. And so I'd like to remind you that we're Christians. If you're new, we're Christians. If you're new, we believe the Bible is God's word. And so we come to the Bible to to discover things. And we as a church believe that the first verse in the Bible is the most important verse in all the Bible because it lays the foundation for everything else. And Genesis 1-1, the first verse in the Bible, is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then a little later in this first chapter, we get to verse 27, and we read this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see that that God made us in his image. Uh, All of us are made in his image, but notice Male and female, he created them. God created two sexes, male and female, and he made us male and female for a purpose. And the very next verse tells us the purpose, that he made us male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God instituted marriage. He said "It's, it's a man and a woman, and the purpose of marriage was that a husband and wife would have sex after they get married, and they would be fruitful and multiply, and they'd fill the earth with people who were made in God's image. So um, that's what the Bible teaches. So in the church, in the church, what we discover about our church, our wider family, it's multi-generational, and it's made up of men and women, and God made us men and women for a different purpose. And then we learn how to treat people, how to love each other in the body. So he's saying, listen, if we need to correct an older man, we should do it honoring those that are older, and we should show them honor and respect. And if we need to correct younger men, we should do it as though they were our brothers. 
And if we need to correct an older woman, we need to do that as though they were our mother. And if we correct a younger woman, we would do that as though they were our sister in all purity. When we're, t- when we're ministering to the opposite sex, we need to be careful that we don't cross barriers and, and be involved in immorality, which has wrecked so many churches. So he says, Paul says to Timothy, be careful. So first, Jesus enables us to love all kinds of people, old and young, men and women, and now he moves on to someone else that's involved in churches. Um, widows. Verse 3, honor widows who are widows indeed. So there are widows in church. And, well, smiley, why doesn't he say widowers? Uh, there's a reason. You see, widows were not simply lonely, but they would have been in a really tough place financially. At that time, there were very few honorable ways that a woman could make a living. You understand what that means, right? If you don't understand what I'm saying, ask your parents and let them tell you, okay? There were very few honorable ways for a woman to make a living. They didn't have social security. They didn't have pension plans. So if a wife's husband died, she was not only lonely, she would be destitute. She would be unable to support herself. So that's why he says the church are honor widows who are widows indeed. And what we're going to learn, somehow the word gets out, the churches give money to everybody who has need. But we're going to learn that here there were four conditions there were four conditions for the church to help widows out financially. And listen, here, here are the four situations that she needed to be poor. If the church was going to help a widow, she needed to be poor. She needed to be family-less. Family she, she didn't have a family to help support her. She needed to be godly, and she needed to be over 60. So the four conditions on caring for widows was that they were poor, familyless. I don't say that very well. family family less, godly, and over 60. So, so let me show you that. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety or godliness in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. God has an amazingly simple plan. A simple plan to take care of children and to take care of older people. And it doesn't involve welfare. It doesn't involve Social Security. Here it is. God's plan is that when you're young, get married and have lots of children and take care of your own children. And then when children grow up, they take care of their mom and dad. And that's God's plan. There it is. God's plan was get married. Have children, take care of your children, and then children, when you grow up, return the favor and take care of your parents. Uh, We've drifted far from God's word, right? Uh, Goes on, now she who is a widow indeed, uh, you see, she's poor, she's family-less, she's godly uh, and over six Uh, Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone, see here comes the godly part, the ones the church was to help has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Wow, she's a godly woman, she's praying, she's serving in her church. But 
She who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even when she lives. But listen, if there's a widow who wastes her money on luxurious living, she's throwing her money away, don't help her because she's wasting her money. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What does that mean that he's worse than an unbeliever? He says, listen, if we don't take care of our children, and if we as children don't take care of our family, we're behaving worse than unbelievers do. Even people who don't know Jesus take care of their children. Even those who, who don't know Jesus, they take care of their parents. I mean, I've watched enough movies about mobsters. I mean, they take care of their own family, right? They don't like your family, but they take care of their children, their parents. And that's what he's saying. If we don't take care of our own families, then we're acting like we don't even know Jesus ourselves. So the Bible calls us to make a very important distinction as a church and as disciple makers. And it's a distinction between people who will not work and people who cannot work. The Bible makes a big distinction between people who are unwilling to work and those who cannot work. Let me show you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, what was happening is people were believing Jesus was coming back soon, so some people just quit their jobs and said, well, we'll just wait for Jesus to come back and fix everything. So they were expecting the church to take care of them. So in 2 Thessalonians 3.10... Paul writes, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. The Bible says the most loving thing to do for someone who doesn't want to work is to let them go hungry, is to let them go hungry. The Bible says if someone is not willing to work, listen, don't help them. The same thing is taught in the Older Testament. Do you know the Older Testament has different sections like a library and one of them is the wisdom section? And one of the books in the wisdom section is Proverbs. And in Proverbs 15, verse 26, notice what it says, a worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. That if someone's not willing to work and they're hungry, guess what's going to happen? Their hunger, what? It urges them on to, to get a job and to work. And so the most unloving thing you can do for someone who's not willing to work is to help them because then their hunger is not working for them. So it's important that the Bible makes a distinction between people who will not work that we should not help and people who cannot work that we should help. Many people believe that James belongs in the wisdom section of the Newer Testament. And in James, we read, in James 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and fathers is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. So listen, orphans are those who lost their parents. They're in a tough shape. We should help orphans. And then widows who are widows indeed, listen, it's not that they're unwilling, that they're not able to support. We should help them and to keep oneself unstained by this world. So Jesus enables us to love one another, and we're learning. We're learning how to love men and women and young and old and widows. And the passage goes on. 
There's so much. I just had such a great time this week in this chapter. A widow is to be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. The list. Is that the, like the naughty and the nice? What is the list? This is so good. Listen, in the early church, they didn't have welfare. They had workfare. They had workfare. So when you had women, and they were widows, and they were poor, and they were family-less, and they were godly, and they were over 60, they could take a vow that they would serve the church in return for the church to help support them. You see, that's a picture for all of us. We need the church. We're needy, and the church needs us. And so these women, they had something to offer to the church, and the church had something to offer to them. It was workfare. It was not welfare. Perhaps they worked in the nursery. Perhaps they visited the six. Perhaps they were older women who discipled younger women, but they served, and then the church helped them financially. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. And it's going to go on to show that she's a godly woman. She was godly before the church paid her, so they can expect she'd be uh, godly after the church paid her. Having a reputation for good works, she's already doing good works. She'll continue to do that if she's on the list and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger women on the list. Those under 60 don't do it. Why? For when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge. They pledge that in response to their income, they would serve the church, but along comes a good-looking guy, and he's loaded. He's loaded with money, and just imagine how not lying how nice life would be with this guy. So they break their pledge to God and they run off with this guy. And that's why he says the church should support poor widows who are uh, family-less, who are godly and over 60. Um, At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. That once they uh, are supported, then they begin to uh, waste their lives. Therefore, I want younger women, younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. But younger women... They can follow God's simple plan. Younger widows can follow God's simple plan. They can get married, and they can have children. And then when their children grow up, their children can take care of their parents. But wait a minute, Smiley. Uh, I mean, can't women do other things other than like getting married and and, and having children? Sure they can. Uh, Women can do lots of things, but there's nothing that a woman can do that's more important or higher 
than being a wife and a mother. There's nothing more important than that. It's just like a husband or a man. There's nothing a man can do that's more important than being a husband and a father. If someone asks you, what's the greatest accomplishment in your life, what would you say? If someone asked me, what's the greatest accomplishment in my life, I'd say the greatest accomplishment in my life is being married to my wife for 41 years. That's the greatest accomplishment. Not being a pastor, but being faithful to my wife. That's my greatest accomplishment. Listen, the family is God's institution, and it's the basic building block of human society, and it's under great attack in our country, and we have an opportunity to model something radically different. We live in a culture that's delaying marriage. We live in a culture that thinks having children is a choice. And and listen, we live in a culture that's fighting over whether it's okay to kill your children. Because we live in a culture that thinks the worst thing that could happen to a woman or the worst thing that could happen to a man is to be pregnant. That is totally different from the Bible. If you read the Bible, the worst thing that could happen to a man, the worst thing that could happen to a woman in the Bible is that they were not able to have children. Oh, we live in a culture that does not value marriage, nor family, nor children. So I want to read you something. I just want to read you something to get just a little picture of how the Bible portrays children. It's Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a, help me what, a gift. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Oh, I've been so blessed that God gave us six kids. But when I share with people, how many kids do you have? Well, we have six. You know the first thing almost everyone says? I bet that was expensive. (laughs) But it is interesting. The older people get, they're likely to say what? You're so blessed. The one thing I never thought about any of my children was they were expensive. Every child we have is an amazing gift from God, and that needs to be how the church is so different from the world. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children. Can't you imagine a bowman? He's got his quiver, and he says, look at this arrow, look at this arrow. There was a time people were like that with their children. Look at my children. How blessed. Not how sorry, how happy, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies. Let me ask you, does our view of children as as a church, does it come from our culture or does it come from the scriptures? Wow. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about in, in 1 Timothy. Uh, I want younger women to get married, to bear children, to keep house. Keep house? You know that means it means to like run a family, to be a homemaker. And 
that's so devalued today. Why is it that if you run a business, that's important? But if you run a family, that's not important. Why is that? Years ago, when, when I first got into running in the late 70s, not the 1770s, <laughs> the 1970s, there used to be a road race in Atlanta called the Peachtree 10K, and they had 50,000 runners. And there was a lady who ran the event. And uh, I read this article in Runner's World and said, you're just a wife and mother. How do you do this? And you know what she said? She said, if you can run a family of six, you can run anything. The most amazing person I've ever been, met is my wife who has run a family of eight for all these years. She is amazing. And that's what this is talking about. Why is it that building a family is devalued in our culture rather than exalted? Um, Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. I mean, we live in a culture that, you know, people are looking for that one person, their soulmate, but the Bible makes it really easy. The Bible says marry anyone you want as long as they're a believer. Marry a believer. Well, what was happening here is you had poor, believing widows, and along comes a rich unbeliever. Imagine the life I could have if I was married to that guy. And so, you know what? They abandoned their faith to marry in disobedience to God outside the faith. And that's what he's saying. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. And it was saying, listen, women can help. That If you have a mother-in-law or, or a mother or, or someone else in your family, you can help take care of them. You can help take care of them. So here's what we've learned so far, that, that Jesus enables us to love one another, that we need to learn how to love men and women and young and old and widows. Because loving one another is really important, really important. Remember how important it was, Jesus said in John 13, John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, when you see the one another, what makes it new is we were already commanded to love our neighbor, but the one another is in the church. And that starts in our earthly families and it spreads into the church that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says the people in this community can decide whether we're disciples or not by whether we're involved in a church and loving one another. People tell me all the time, well, I don't need a church. Well, Jesus says you do. Because Jesus said it's our love for one another. That's what shows the world we're Christians. Um, so Jesus enables us to love one another. And loving one another is really important. So I bet you can't guess what the action step is for this week. huh? You know what I want you to do this week? I want you to love one another, to love one another. And I want you to know in a lot of churches, it would stop right here. The Bible says to love one another. So go do it. What's wrong with that? hard, isn't it? Listen, we're a, we're a, a gospel-centered church, and, and, and we love the gospel, and we recognize it's hard to love others, and we need help. 
That's why we need Jesus. It's why we need the gospel. So I want to I help you get there where you can love one another. If we want to love one another, the first thing is we need to believe the gospel ourselves, to believe the gospel ourselves, that Jesus can do what we cannot do, that Jesus enables us to love one another. Let me show you that. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. If we want to be able to love others, we need to first receive it ourselves. Listen, love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. How many times does the Bible say God is love? Twice. This is the first one. Isn't it interesting? 66 books, you have to get through like 63 before you ever read it. It's only said twice, both in this chapter, but God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The reason we're able to love one another is we know what love is. We've seen it. We've experienced it. God sent His Son. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. The reason we need to believe the gospel is so we can love others because we've been loved. Have you? In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, listen, believing the gospel means we believe the bad news, and that is we have a sin problem. See, most of us think that we're loving people living in an unloving world or that we're good people living in a bad world, but we're not. The Bible says sin is a universal problem. And it's not just something we do, it's who we are. We have inherited a sinful nature, and because of that, we sin. Because we're sinners, we don't put God first. We commit sin. Because we're sinners, we don't honor our father and mother, but we sin, we, we disobey our mom and dad. Because we're sinners, we don't reserve sex for marriage, and we engage in sex outside of marriage, and we sin against God. And because we're sinners, we lie. It's true of all of us. We've all sinned against God over and over again, and what we deserve is God's wrath. So what do we do? We can't do anything. But in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. So Jesus is God, the Son who put on flesh and came to earth and lived a perfect life for us, and, and He became the propitiation for our sins. You know what that word propitiation means? He appeased the wrath of God. You know what love is? It's Jesus loved us so much that he, he took our place on the cross and he experienced the wrath of God that we deserve. And he stayed on the cross until the penalty was paid in full and he said, it's finished. He died, and, and then he was buried, right? And then on the third day, he rose, and he offers us eternal life. He offers to forgive our sins. He offers us the chance to do life with him. He offers us the chance for him to move in and love us so we can love others. He offers us the chance to live forever. And what does he require of us? <laughs> to believe, right? Oh, in John 1, verse 12, But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Uh, have you ever received him as your Savior and Lord? Have you ever believed in him? If you haven't, wouldn't you like to? Wouldn't you like to be forgiven? Wouldn't you like to do life with Jesus? Wouldn't you like to do eternity with him? What does it mean to believe? 
It really is as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. And you can do that now or I'll be glad to help you as we close in prayer. But it starts when we admit, Jesus, I've not loved you nor others. Well, I've sinned against you. Is that true of you? Won't you admit? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And, and then commit, Jesus, I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. And I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Won't you believe? And if you have, we're children of God. We're forgiven. We get to do life with Jesus. And going back to 1 John, listen, 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, you know why we can love one another? Because we've been loved. We can only love when we've been loved, and we can only love to the extent that we've been loved, and we've been loved so well. Beloved, if God so loved us, if Jesus was willing to stay on the cross until he had paid in full penalty for our sins, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Oh. Man, the more we understand Christ's love, for us, the greater ability to love others. And that's why I love verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved us. We love one another. Why? Because he first loved us. We love lost people. Why? Because he first loved us. And so if we want to love one another, it starts when we believe the gospel. If we want to love one another, then we need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves every day and then to others. What do I mean? That, that this week, let's preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again, that Jesus enables us to love one another, that Jesus enables us to do what we could never do on our own and love one another. How do we do that? <clears throat> Every morning, I have breakfast with Jesus. Do you? Do you know why I have breakfast with Jesus? It's not because I'm good. It's because I'm not. Do you know why I have breakfast with Jesus? Because I find people really hard to love. Anybody else? So what I do is I start my day with the one who is love. And I go to spend time with Jesus so I can fill up with the love I'm going to need all day long to love people who irritate me so much. And you know what happens when I look at Jesus? I see he stayed on the cross. And I say, Lord, help me to stay married. Help me not to give up as a pastor. Help me to love like you do. And when I look at Jesus, he says, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. And I say, Jesus, I want to be like you. Help me to be faithful like you are. The way we preach the gospel to ourselves is we spend time with Jesus, right, and remind ourselves that Jesus enables us to love one another. Do you know what else I do every day because I find it hard to love others? Every day I say the Lord's Prayer, every day. And, and listen, the, the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to keep healthy relationships. You want healthy relationships? Here it is. In Matthew 6, notice what Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That every day when I have breakfast with Jesus, I confess my sins, and there's lots of them. And I experience forgiveness, and then I, I release those that have wronged me. Um, yeah. Are there people you need to forgive? One of my favorite books on the family was written by Dr. James Kennedy. And uh, in it, he talks about divorce, and he talked about these couples that he had t interviewed who were divorced, and he asked them what went wrong, and he said most of them were a little embarrassed because it was all little things. It was little things that were never dealt with, and they became big things. 
He said, it's just like going for a walk on the beach. You ever been on a walk on the beach and you're wearing shoes and you get sand in your shoes? In your shoes? It's just a minor irritant, isn't it? It's just a little thing. But if you walk five miles with sand in your shoes, what's going to happen? Your feet are going to be a bloody mess. There are many marriages in here today that are in a real mess. And you know why? Because you haven't emptied your shoes in a long, long time. And if you want a marriage that lasts and you want to have a better marriage, then every day you need to empty those shoes. You need to experience forgiveness and you need to grant forgiveness, right? Oh, man, it'll, it'll change your marriage. And the same thing's true in a church. Number one reason pastors leave the ministry is bitterness. They were hurt. They didn't deal with it. The sand over the course of time just ruined their hearts and they quit. Same reason why people leave churches. <laughs> Listen, if you come here, you're going to get hurt over and over again. And if you don't learn to empty your shoes of the sand, pretty soon it's going to be a bloody mess and you will be gone. Jesus says if we want to love one another, then we need to empty our shoes daily where we experience forgiveness and we grant forgiveness. So the way I preach the gospel to myself every day is I start my day with Jesus and, and I say the Lord's Prayer and there's something else I do that I train myself to love other people. I train myself. The Bible says to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's not easy. We need to train for it. Oh, two horrific shootings. The, the church in Nashville and, um, and the bank in Louisville and I listen to the police officers. And all the police officers said, we were trained for that moment. Our training kicked in. We were trained to know exactly what we do. Um, it's hard to love people, isn't it? Especially the people we love. If we want to do it, guess what? We need to train for it, right? We need to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And you say, how? One of the ladies in our church told me the best thing I've ever heard about marriage. She said that Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. You know why I love that? If you expect a perfect marriage, you're always going to be disappointed. Always. But who wants to be unhappy? And the reason we run to Jesus for the gospel is that Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. Smiley, how's your marriage? It's so messed up, but we're happy. Why? Because Jesus is in there. So how do you do that? You know, I teach you all the time. Every day I go through. Step number one, I didn't marry Jesus. It happens every day. My wife does something that upsets me. And uh, that's step number one. I didn't marry Jesus. You didn't either. Step number two is I'm not Jesus. I'm probably the only petty person in here about marriage. But I'll say, yeah, I'm not Jesus, but I'm better than my wife. And then reality kicks in. We have six kids. Guess who they love the most? It's not me. And so I realized, wow, I'm way harder to love than my wife. That's why the kids all love her more. And then I say, man, I, I, I really need Jesus. I do. I need, I need Jesus. Jesus, help me to love my wife the way you love me. That Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. Do you know the same thing is true in church? If you're involved in here, you're going to be hurt and disappointed all the time. That's why we need to train for it. So that when someone offends us, and I know I offend you, might surprise you, sometimes you irritate me. 
It's true. But then I remember, listen, you're not Jesus. And then I remember what? I'm not Jesus. And then I remember what? We all need Jesus, don't we? We need Jesus so that we can enjoy a happily imperfect church. Oh, See, that's how we love one another. The how, how of loving one another is we believe the gospel. We preach the gospel to ourselves continually because no one needs the gospel more than we do. That it's Jesus. It's not hard work. It's Jesus who enables us to love one another. And then we go and we share that with others. We share that with others. Every week I talk with people and they'll say, you know, Smiley, marriage is so hard. What would you say? Yeah, me too. You ever think of marriage? It's a man and a woman. Is that funny? In a tight space for a long period of time. And they're both sinners. What could go wrong in that? I always say, me too, man. Marriage is really hard, but could I share with you what helps? Sure. We know Jesus. And Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. Well, how? Well, it's three easy steps. I didn't marry Jesus. You didn't either. I'm not Jesus, neither are you. And we need Jesus to love our spouse. Every week I talk with Christians and they've been hurt. They've been let down by people in the church or others. And they say, man, people, they've just wronged me so bad. And I say, listen, me too. Um, Could I share with you how I deal with that? What I have found is that Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage or family or community. He does. How? Well, listen, they're not Jesus and we're not, but we, we need him. Who do you know? Who do you know right now who's struggling in their marriage? Who do you know is so bitter of what's happened to them in the church? Who do you know who would love to hear what you've learned today? Won't you go and share it with them? There is someone who can help us. There is someone who can help us love one another in our homes. There is someone who can help us love one another in the church. There is someone who can help us enjoy a happily imperfect marriage or a happily imperfect church, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful there's hope, (laughs) that you're our hope, that you're our Savior, that you can uh, enable us to do what we could never do on our own. Lord, thank you for coming because you loved us, and thank you for dying on the cross because you loved us, and thank you for rising, and thank you for offering to us eternal life. Listen, if if you've never received Jesus and you need help in loving others... (laughs) If you recognize you need help, listen, Jesus is here. Why don't you just tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you invite him out? I need help. I want you to be my Savior. Forgive me. Give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me. Help me to follow you. Help me to love others in my life. I need you. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you and help you grow. 
Lord, I pray for those of us who've received you that today we would learn how important it is that we preach the gospel to ourselves. And this week we would get up and spend time with you because we need your love to love people in our lives. Lord, help us this week to, to pray the Lord's prayer and to, to empty the sand out of our shoes. Some of us need to do that now. If that's you, won't you ask Jesus to forgive you? And won't you take a moment to just empty those shoes out and forgive those that have wronged you? And Lord, this week, help us to train. Help us to train ourselves so that we can enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. Lord, help us to train ourselves by preaching the gospel to ourselves that we can enjoy belonging to a happily imperfect church. Lord, give us opportunities this week to share with others what we've learned today, for we pray in Jesus' name.